see, when the Beatles were on, I never, I never even liked the Beatles. No. It sucked actually. You know. What did you say? You thought but, they sucked? You know, I mean, come on, I want to hold your hand and those songs. They didn't do anything for me. Yeah, but I then was... you guys did one of their songs. What was it like? So you guys, you opened up for Led Zeppelin back in the day, Carmine? No, they opened up for us. Oh, see, I did that on purpose there to see what you said. <laughs> well, the, the the ultimate story from rock and roll history is the Mud Shark story, and he was there. So if anybody could actually say it, it's him. It was my chick. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> my group, they did, uh, hang on, they had the doors on. The doors just stood there, mm-hmm. and they had the uh, Steppenwolf on, and they just stood there. Then they had the vanilla fudge on, and we just tore it up. Yeah. I don't understand them. Uh, yeah. Why vanilla fudge is not in the Rock Hall of Fame is beyond me. Every when, And they put the Go-Go's in. Yeah. Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is joelrody. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Roadie, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. My first guest is Carmine Apice. You may know him as being the drummer of Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, Beck, Bogart, and Epis, and Rod Stewart. He's also the author of books, Stick It, My Life of Sex, Drugs, Drums, and Rock and Roll, and the ultimate realistic rock drum method. My second guest is Fernando Perdomo. He's one of the most sought-after bass and guitar session players in the industry. I didn't know it was such a hard sentence to say. He's also a producer. He's worked with Christian Castro, Soraya, Jacob Dylan, Cat Power, Fiona Apple, Jennifer Lopez, Regina Spector, and Todd Rundgren, just to name a few. My first question is to Fernando. Tell us about the... Um, what is it? The, uh, the Minions movie, please. Is it good? Is it, it is uh, <laughs> set in 1976. Oh. And my old son said, why is everybody dressed like Willy Wonka? And I said, no, they're not dressed like Willy Wonka. They're dressed like the 70s. And he thinks the 70s is, might as well be the 1800s. So <laughs> Generation Z, 11-year-olds would be what? Generation, does it go to Generation A again? I don't know. Does it like repeat? Generation Rod Stewart repeats. Rod Stewart comes back. Yeah, exactly. Well, Rod Stewart never went away, especially in Carmine's world, especially when you write his biggest hit. Yeah, but he he changed his outfits. (laughs) (laughs) No, I went to a show. uh, Ah, shit, I don't know. I I don't go to a lot of shows. And I went to a show like eight, nine years ago. It was in Boston, and I I liked this girl. And so I I contacted a couple buddies. Well, get me into a show. And it was Rod Stewart. And he came out. And he kind of did this like a little wiggle and the whole front row was like, <laughs> they went crazy. And I'm like, 
this guy, he could still, he still got the moves. He was cruising. Well, the old joke is the Rod Stewart show smells a certain way. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, it's like a chemical reaction that happens. Well, I was yeah. behind the road that said, I love Rod. And so I felt very comfortable. What do you expect? <laughs> He's still right. a sex symbol. He's going to be a sex symbol in a hundred years yeah. due to science. Did you, did you see the photo where he had all his wives in the same photo? Yeah, I did. It's amazing. I well, mean, well, be more right He has the wives and the kids all in a photo. It's brilliant. Married five times. There's no way that they're all going to be in a photo. <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm sitting in the house there, but we're not married, so. I talk about marriage. She goes, marry him, he'll marry anybody. Oh, geez. Right? <laughs> so there's no way I would ever get my ex-wife that got a lot of money from me, you know, in a photo with the present wife, I call her. It's no way. So I give Rod credit for that, I tell you. It's pretty neat. Blondes okay. have morals. <laughs> my friend Fernando, you've been spending some time recently going down this memory lane of badass cool shit about Leon Russell. So oh, I yeah. thought what might be really fun is, do you have any, Car Carmine, do you have any like Leon Russell stories? And it's not that I want to skip through Vanilla Fudge or any of the really great stuff. It's just maybe some stuff that might be a little different to talk about, be more fun for you. So any cool Leon Russell stories to tell Fernando and I? Leon Russell connection that we don't know about? Not really. Wow. You you know, oh. it's very, it's very <laughs> what a dumb question. You you picked the one guy that, that, yeah. uh, that, that, I mean, I've done gigs with him. I met him with we you know, somewhat long distance friends, you know, but uh, I never really had a uh, any ties with him. I never played on anything. I never really hung out with him. Okay. You know, I do have a friend who asked me to ask you a question. His name is Darren Paltrowitz. He has a podcast as well. I believe you've probably been on there as a quick guess. He's writing a book right now on uh, David Lee Roth. And so the question was, is you rehearsed once with David Lee Roth. Um, what was it like? It was in the late 90s. Yeah. And who else was in the band? Well, uh, it was rehearsal? Marco Mendoza was supposed to play bass. And he had a, a new guitar player, dude, who never really made it after those rehearsals. And me and David. And we had a couple of rehearsals. And the last rehearsal, he came in with this outfit on that it looked seriously like a Holiday Inn bed and curtain uh, outfit. Looks like he, he took the curtains and the bedspread and made an outfit out of it. So I was kidding around. I said, hey, David, did you get that outfit from the curtain and, and uh, you know, uh, from the Holiday Inn? You know, I said, bedspread and the curtain? He goes... No, I had this custom made, he says. Oh, geez. That's the last time I saw him. Oh. <laughs> Way to win him <laughs> over, huh? <laughs> it was okay because I was I was getting in the band anyway with uh, Denny Lane and myself and yeah. uh, Bumble and uh, Spencer Davis and uh, two guys from Steppenwolf is called the World Classic Rockers. And we would go out and do these really uh, cool sort of like corporate gigs and pay really well. And we would get to play everybody's songs, you know? I know uh, Fernando just worked with Denny. That's why I was curious. Yeah. See how, because he's very, uh, you know, never, you know, goes out a lot. You know, he's very introverted. But I know. You know? Yeah. Those... But he's a great 
guy when you get to know him. Yeah. Who? So you're? Are you doing session work in Florida right now, or is this family time stuff, Carmine? Or, or uh, sorry, Fernando. Oh, I'm I'm doing family I'm doing family stuff, but I am doing a little bit of a session on Sunday for an artist that I work with. It's like a folk acoustic artist mm-hmm. named Mandolin, who's amazing. Um, really, really cool artist. You know, but you aside out, that, what was his name? I try to come here every couple of months. My son's here, um, but uh, this time it's been a, a little bit of a longer wait because uh, I had some other things come up. I went on on the road with Marshall Crenshaw, and I did a bunch of uh, work on a on a record on a bunch of other things, and I. We're also working on a new record, the two of us, uh, Carmen and I, and uh, we're in the mixing process right now, which sounds yeah, really... Yeah, well, the first one, Energy Overload, it's friggin' awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's going to be really overload. Yeah, the, the, if that was Overload, this we, is maybe Meltdown. We'll call this, maybe we'll call it the Biker Gang. <laughs> this, is, this is like Energy Meltdown. Yeah, it's, really, a, it's a lot of fun working with really Carmen. Yeah. Yeah. I never be able to keep up with him, and we have to keep up with each other. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Very cool. Good. We got a new guy mixing it too, called Pat Reed, and he just finished mixing my King Cobra record. He's done so many mixed things for me, you know, my guitar zoo stuff. He's mixed Vanilla Fudge. He's mixed Cactus. He mixed uh, me and Pat Travis. He's a great, great mixer. Big heavy sound, and it yeah, sounds great. Really kick-ass sound, and, and he knows what I like. And we did the first mix of uh, our new thing called Biker Gang, and and uh, we have another mix that we had. And I said, well, listen to this mix. And he said, wow, this is freaking heavy. Yeah. Let's use this one. So it's then a... we started that. Now we got the second mix last night. Uh, so I'm called Drum City, and it kicks ass. Yeah. Nice. Really explodes out of the speakers. Yeah. And, uh, man, this this guy, I mean, just the the the, the amount of, of energy that comes out of his playing is just it's making me a better player. It's making me a more aggressive player. And it's, uh, it's so much fun to do what we do together because we have, yeah. we bring a lot of different styles into the gumbo, but what we do together works really well. I mean, we, uh, a label is going to uh, put us down for try and put us into a Grammy situation. Which would be amazing. For rock instrumental. There's not a lot of people in rock instrumental anyway. You know, all these guys like you know Jeff Beck and and uh, Steve Vinyl, they don't do, they do more like jazz rock. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing is blows out rock instrumental with good melodies. I mean, just like the first record, that's the one that's going in. Yeah. And I think eventually, if we do enough of these, maybe we'll get some. Even a nomination would be cool. Yeah, that would be a really <laughs> a nice plaque that says you're nominated. That's in the top of the bucket list for me. Yeah. You know, and I've always been a huge fan of the Academy. And man, I mean, there's this is a style that I grew up um, absolutely loving that Carmine was in the middle of, of the explosion of the instrumental world in the seventies, when there was all these major labels that were putting out records by Jeff Beck, Mahavishnu, John Luke Ponty, and, uh, and, you know, uh, return to forever and uh, Tommy Bolin and all this stuff. And it's like, we want to bring back that style because there's a lot of, the instrumental guitar world got very shreddy and metally with the Joe Satriani, Steve Vai world. And we kind of want to bring it back into like a classic rock, yeah. like, you know, really soulful and really groove oriented as opposed to, gee, how fast can we play? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Which is cool. And also, um, since we're both songwriters, uh, we both approach the writing as completed as song. songs. Yeah. 
Yeah. Both melodies, melodies yeah. bridges, you know. I mean, I played on Tommy Bowen. I played on that. I played on Jeff Beck. Actually, we have a Beck Bogan the Peace Live record coming out next year from 1974. Oh, cool. And on a song called Jizzwiz, <laughs> which is an instrumental song that to me is the bridge between BBA and Blow by Blow. Because I was on, initially I was on Blow by Blow and things didn't work out. But I, I worked with George Martin on five tracks with Jeff and rehearsed with him, you know, for like two months before we went in the studio. And uh, so I was very involved in that, that kind of stuff, you know. And so playing with this stuff, it adds a bit more of, uh, since then I've developed my drum sound. So it's punchy and heavy, you know. You know what's the... What would you say? So we're talking rock. We're talking straight rock. Who do you think through all the people you've played with was the oddest connection? The one of like, they want, they want me to play drums. Like what, why would they think of me? What's, do you have any that comes to mind? Floyd. So were you just not just, but you played on momentary lap of reason. Did you play on any of their other stuff? No, I just played on dogs of war and it happened by having a, a phone call uh, made to me by Bob Ezrin. So I went home one day and I listened to my answer machine. Remember, we had the answer machine. <laughs> and I played and he goes, hi, it's Bob Ezrin. How are you doing? I'm, I'm producing a band that's just screaming for Carmine drum solos, uh, drums, drum fills. I said, okay. So I called him. I go, Bob, how are you doing? Who's the band? And he said, Pink Floyd. I said, Pink Floyd? <laughs> I said, what happened to Nick? He said, well, Nick's been racing his Ferraris and calluses are soft and everything but they actually wanted the coolest new- freaking car ever by the way i saw that did you see not David. to change did you see the video with him driving a ride riding in it with brian johnson oh nick mason and brian johnson riding in a car dude he like starts the ferrari up and you're like oh my god he hasn't even moved in the car yet and you're like wow i went in and spent the whole day with him it was really funny because like every week i i recorded I don't know how many 24 tracks they filled up with me recording that track. And then Bob says, call me in a couple of weeks. I'll listen to how it's going. I called him every week after two weeks. And I said, how's it going? And what's it sound like? Oh, wonderful. What's it sound like? Fantastic. It's amazing. I said, when can I hear it? You know, I was doing a movie in 1988 in Canada. It was called Black Roses, like a, a B-rated heavy metal movie. I was in it and I did some soundtrack stuff. So I was in Canada. And finally, I heard that the album was released. And I never heard the drum part. So I went downstairs. You know, in Canada, they have all those malls underground because it gets so damn cold up there. And of course, there was a mall and there was a music store, a record shop in those days. And I went in and I bought the cassette. And I played it on my, my Sony you know, Walkman. And I got to hear it for the first time on my Walkman. I got to say, I was blown away because they had the drums all over it. Yeah, doing fills all over the place. But that seems to be their mo because there's the classic story about Claire Torrey, who sang "Great Gig in the Sky" for Dark Side of the Moon, and she had gone in to do the session and it didn't go well, and she thought for sure she wasn't going to be on the record. And then all of a sudden she got a call from her friends and they're like, "Go to the record store now. You're <laughs> on the new Pink Floyd album." And again, they didn't tell her. Yeah, yeah. And she heard it and she was so embarrassed because she thought she sucked. The good thing is, I got the gold and platinum record back there. Yeah. Five. 
platinum records. It went five over five times platinum. Mm -hmm. So you know, but I didn't do it. Maybe one day I'll do it. Yeah, but well, I, no, I mean, the problem no is he's got no it. got no space, which is an, an amazing <laughs> problem. Yes. Yeah. I like to say that the best wallpaper on earth is gold records, and yeah, that's the coolest thing. <laughs> totally. Funny is like in New York, we have an apartment in New York. I have more in New York. I have a five platinum Rod Stewart one. I got a BBA one and a and a vanilla fudge one. Did not, not here. I gave my son and daughter a couple each, you know, because I, I have no more room, you know. My fr my friend. Uh, I'll be on your Christmas card list. Yeah, there we go. My friend Sebastian got so many Grammys that he gave one to his high school. Ah. <laughs> That's, <awesome. laughs> That's neat. Costello. You know, I have good. Bob Ezrin sheet music for the trial because Bob uh, wrote the part of the trial. And on it, it says Ace and it has a phone number. So I always wanted to ask him, is it Ace Freely? It's got to be Ace Freely, right? Yeah, that would <laughs> make sense. Right to you in the middle. Yeah, it's about the same time as Beth. So thinking maybe. Oh, yeah. Out there too. There's a big kiss connection there. I just did a and you know, what, you know what went, um, went gold lately? It was the Tommy Bowler one. Yeah, no way. It, it, it basically yeah. went gold recently. Yeah, private eyes. Private eyes, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that one has the CD and the cassette on it. It didn't have the, the big gold records. Oh, cool. Now, nobody gets gold records. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's really nobody, hard these days. Nobody gets to, well, to, it's not uh, plays. I think you need, like, you know, the biggest hundred billion oh. like downloads of a song to be platinum or something. The number's gone like crazy. <laughs> million streams. Streaming, but yeah, streaming. Bill ends up being piddly. I yeah, mean, yeah. I that there everybody reads that story about Peter Frampton. Yeah, fifty five hundred million. Yeah. Seventeen hundred dollars. Yeah. Crazy. Somebody's gotta straighten this out. I mean, can't even get a less Paul for that. <laughs> Do you remember meeting Felix Cavallari the first time? Because I had Felix on here. He actually got mad at me because I said his name wrong and I had to start the, I had to start over. <laughs> what is it? When was he on? Um probably about a year ago now. Good friend. I played with the Rascals in 2018. Oh, cool. Dean and Felix is Rascals. Dino is sick and Eddie didn't want to play. So when Dino didn't want to play, they called me because we're friends. Me and Gene were real close. And I went out. I did, I think, 20 gigs with them until Gene got sick. Did you do and them on the cruise lines? or Rascal stuff. You what? I loved playing the Rascals. Music. Such fun music. You know, it really is just wonderful stuff. And a nice fella, too. He was cool. He had, he, he had a fire in his house. And so he lost his... Uh, induction is his trophy to be in the rock and roll hall of fame and they won't give him another one. Oh no right Bastard. what the hell i'm like what are you gonna do start selling them i mean I, why would I, they not give you another one but they won't i don't understand them uh yeah why vanilla fudge is not in the rock hall of fame is beyond me every when, and they put the go-go's in yeah right and vanilla <laughs> fudge yeah, well, on. every every year there's like a whole new list of people that's like, why the hell are they, are they not in? And it should be called the Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, not especially with all the yeah all the they different country artists and wimpy yeah. artists. In Vanilla Fudge, how did you guys pick the songs that you covered? We we listened to the lyrics, and we matched the lyrics to the music, pretty much. If you listen to the music, uh, keep me hanging on was. 
you know, set me free, why don't you be? It's very happy. But the yeah. lyrics, people get ready, was a churchy gospel thing. Ticket to uh, Eleanor Rigby was an eerie, churchy kind of thing, you know. So we matched all that to the, you know, the music. But so I mean, who selected like Eleanor Rigby? How did it get into the mix of like, this is one we should do? Well, we listened to the lyrics, you know, churchy, cemetery, you know, lonely, you know. We just, we just took that vibe and created it. There's two things that the way I always looked at it is that there's two ways to cover a song. And one of them is to, you know, the, 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 the cover band way of doing it exact. And the other one is to make it your own. And in my opinion, those songs, there's, they're, they're vanilla fudge songs. The minute they, they touched them, they became vanilla fudge. You know, it's very hard to be, to do a vanilla fudge tribute or even to play a vanilla fudge song because it's not, your normal way of playing. Yeah. And like we did uh, on the first album, we did Do You Think I'm Sexy? Somebody said to me the other day, I love the way you guys did it, you know, and I'm glad you didn't do it like the original. I said, yeah. dude, if you're going to do a song, you can't do it the same. Otherwise, why bother? Exactly. Yeah, put your spin. Well, there's different schools of that, but there, when we when he said, hey, let's do a reggae version, and we went all in, and it came yeah. out so good. so good. It was so fun. Yeah. I mean, he oh, made the... Man. I, I say, uh, made the guitar talk. <laughs> I mean, I, I heard, I was going to play, uh, it never happened, Susie, uh, Susie Quattro's album last year. And she said, have you done anything? Yeah, could I hear, I could hear. So I sent her. Um, Flower Child. Well, is it Wild Child? Yeah. Flower Wild, Child. Flower, Flower Child. Child. Yeah. To her and. We're still waiting, Susie. Yeah, I know. And she says, <laughs> that who I think it is playing guitar? I said, who do you think it is? I think it's Jeff Beck. I said, no, it's not Jeff Beck. It's Fernando. Ah! Yeah, Fernando. Yeah, yeah, and uh, every time he says that, I gotta tighten my hat yeah, to keep yeah. it from falling off. But it's because <laughs> you look so good did, in it. You look good. And we you don't want to lose yeah, it. Maybe I'm amazed. I mean, just doing it instrumentally made it different. Yeah, you know, and then that we was put a lot the, of fun. Uh, background vocals on it. And... Yeah. How did you link up with Jacob Dylan, Fernando? Um, well. It's on my mind right now because, unfortunately, we've just gotten word that the uh, Cantor's uh, Fairfax, there's a there's a, a Jewish deli in L.A. called Cantor's, Cantor's yeah. that has a, a little little bar called the Kibitz Room. Sure. And um, they have a jam every well, – I've been told not to call it a jam. I call it an orgy. Every Tuesday, a bunch of musicians get together, and we play a bunch of tunes, and it's a very kind of a pro situation. And one night, uh, Andy Slater, who was the president of Capitol, who produced the first Fiona Apple album, saw me play and immediately uh, got my information. And next thing you know it, I was in the studio recording what would, it turned out to be the soundtrack, which is originally going to be an album. And next thing you know, we went to go do a concert. Echo in the Canyon, right? Canyon. Well, we went to go do a concert to create, um, uh, create like a visual aspect to the album. And he was like, man, this would make a great movie instead. So it took four years to finish the movie, and the movie ended up becoming that. But, you know, um, Andy manages Jacob. And it was just one of those great L.A. stories where I was playing an unpaid jam session, and the right guy came in at the right time and saw the right dude play the the stuff correctly. And I just did my Neil Young impression. (laughs) Then recently, he was playing at the Troubadour, and a record company president saw him play, 
and hired him to do an Abbey Road record on Cleopatra. Oh, that's fun. I might, might have to edit that out because the contract isn't signed yet. No worries. So, oh, that's right. Okay. Okay, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah, Brian, the, the owner of Cleopatra is my good friend. When he tells me this is happening, it's happening. It's happening. So yeah, we're gonna do a new version of. Uh, we, I just had uh, Carmine play on a, on a version of uh, of Oh Darling with. Uh, we're gonna get Eric Dover from Jellyfish to sing. Oh, I just had Eric on last uh, recently. Oh, Eric is the man. Well, he's he's the man. He's he's an awesome guy. I've known him for a lot of years, and so. I had him on with the other guys from Jellyfish because they have their other project now. Yeah, the Liquor's Quartet, which is Licorice fantastic. Yeah. And it's going to, you know, in, instead of just the vocals screaming, everything's going to scream. Yeah. Eric actually can scream. The guy's an amazing singer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's going to be screaming the vocals, but now the drums scream too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, deal. Deal. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. I'll have to give that a listen. Did oh, you, yeah. Did you, did you guys see the Joni Mitchell thing recently? Where she oh, yeah. Played? You know, the thing about, about Joni is that we had kind of all kind of been under the impression that that's it. You know, she's retired. Yeah. You know, well, she remember, had... it was, I guess it's getting on, but I don't know, three, four years ago. I mean, she was like, we were waiting for the the the, 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 the Facebook to blow up with it. She didn't make it. So to yeah. sit back on the stage, it's such a great moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, luckily she met Brandy Carlisle and she surrounded her with the right people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's always inspiring to see people bounce back from um, almost certain death. And with yeah. her, it's, you know. So what happened? Did she get rid she of had a, No, yeah, she, she's better now. And she was able to sing the whole show. Yeah, and she played good. some guitar even, which yeah. was fantastic. Because everybody had kind of written her off as a, okay, we got all the Joni. Now it's like, you know, mm-hmm. now, now it's, she's just going to show up and talk. But now she came up and actually played a show, and it was great. It she was sang great because you could tell she was really enjoying it too. You know, it was like it was this wonderful last hurrah. It was a beautiful moment. So hopefully we get a few more hurrahs. But it was fantastic. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, what was it like? So you guys, you opened up for Led Zeppelin back in the day, Carmine. No, they opened up for us. Oh, see, I did that on purpose there to see what he'd say. Okay. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> We did uh on purpose. I did, yeah. Be a smart ass. <laughs> yeah, would give me a hard time. But um, when you saw bands like that back then, were you? I, I worked for Stone Tumble Pilots for a little bit, and one of the big things I I remember fondly was watching some of these bands that I loved, you know, Metallica, and they'd sit there watching the band that I got to work for, um, in awe. So. Were there times or who are, where are the times in your career where you sat on the side, maybe watching somebody in awe of like, boy, oh boy, are you good? Um, do you have any standout well, ones? Led Zeppelin was good, but they weren't any better than a lot of the bands in those days. You know, they had a really good album. Yeah. And they had a good manager and he put a really good record deal and, and they did all the right things. You know? Good parties. The very first gig they promoted didn't want him on there because he didn't need him. We were sold out. So we ended up paying half their fee. Really? Fee, $1,500. I mean, come on. You know, <laughs> 50 of it, vanilla fudge. You know, so we did them a favor, put them on the first, the very first gig. And then we did a bunch of other gigs before the record came out. You what know? were your favorite but bands they, of that era? Vanilla fudge. I mean, Sline and Family Stone, um, Three Dog Night, all these big groups ended up being huge. You know, uh, Frank Zappa, 
Oh yeah. Cooper. Yeah. yeah, so many bands opened up for Vanilla Fudge. I mean, we looked at Alice Cooper and we thought it was a joke. The guy had he had a, a, a door frame on the on the stage. He walked through it holding a rubber chicken. You know, and we're going. <laughs> This thing ain't going nowhere. You're like, that's my chicken. <laughs> I mean, I called up Ludwig to get uh, John Bonham on an endorsement. And I said, uh, look, I think these guys are going to be big. Right? That's an understatement of what, six decades? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't know. I said, I think. You know, nobody knew for sure. And then they right. just skyrocketed, you know? So when I was putting this podcast together, my friends now have little kids. Uh, my friend's daughter was in elementary school, and she said I should ask every guest when they first felt famous. And so I ask each of you guys, when did you first feel famous? If for some reason you don't think you are famous, and I'm not saying you should or should not feel that way, when was there a moment in your career, a, a defining time that made you feel like you were on the right path, something that happened to each one of you? that made you stick with it or something worth telling? Keep hanging on on the radio and on the charts. And then the second time was on the Ed Sullivan show. Which That's I when you really, when you made it on there, you were really made. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at Beatles and it's the same. In my opinion, the performance of Vanilla Fudge playing You Can't Keep Me Hanging On on Ed Sullivan is just as electric. I mean, I, they always say that like, a, th- a million bands were formed on February 11th, 1964, when the Beatles performed at Sullivan. The rest of the bands in rock and roll were formed the day that, that Vanilla Fudge was there. Yeah, I, I don't see when the Beatles were on. I never, I never even liked the Beatles. No, sucked actually. You know what did you say? You thought but, they sucked? You know, I mean, come up. I want to hold your hand in those songs. They didn't do anything for me. Yeah, but I then was... you guys did one of their songs. You know, and the Beatles were like very elementary. They were like teen idols, Timmy boppers. You know? So why'd you do one of their songs? Rubber Soul. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're cutting in and out a little bit. I'm losing yeah. some of it. So by the time Revolver was out, I was like into it. Ah. We, Bella Fudge, were doing uh, songs and coming up with our ideas. We were listening to Revolver. So there was a change. Yeah, but back in the day, the Ed Sullivan, I don't even think I looked at it. I don't even think I saw it. I saw it on repeats and stuff. And you, when you look at it, you know, I mean, they had the, the fashion, they had all that stuff going. But really, you know, Ringo didn't do nothing to play like this. And they all just stood there and played. There was no, like, show as far as I was concerned back then. Like, when you look at Vanilla Fudge, we were on recently on uh, Me TV. They did uh, Hang It On. They had the doors on. The doors just stood there. Mm-hmm. Then they had the Steppenwolf on. And they just stood there. Then they had the Vanilla Fudge on. And we just tore it up. Yeah. And then after that, they had the Temptations. And they tore it up. But the first two bands, they just stood there. Yeah. There was no show at all. You know, it was nothing. Funny. I, <clears throat> I had on <clears throat> Victor, the drummer of the Violent Femmes. And I was watching old footage of him. He's just everywhere, man. He he's just he's crazy person on the stage, and they actually had a talk with him that he needed or he needed to simmer the fuck down. <laughs> wow. And, and that was part that was a big deal. And he was told that the drummer from from, from uh, Violent Femmes was told to chill. Huh. Get to well, chill out. Yeah, we've I think I think we've 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 all gotten that talk every once I in a while. I used to when I played with Rod Stewart. I saw him. He'd look at me and go like this. 
You see that? Take your teeth in? What does that mean? He goes, you're the dentist. Too many fill-ins. Oh. And we were playing. He'd come out and go like that. I have to calm down a little bit. Rod with the jokes. I thought he was going to have one of the footballers beat you up or something. John Tempesti plays drums for the uh, cult. He sent me a text today. He goes, check out your fill at, at number at 430 on Hot Legs with Rod Stewart Live like in 1978. And I heard it. I said, yep. That's the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's good. But that's that's the thing that makes people go woo every time. Yeah. You know, there's that moment where everybody's arms go up at shows and go, oh, my God, that was incredible. And that's, you know. Yeah. I the... mean, songs have to have energy, you know, and energy from the drums. Like, uh, I just cut this. I just played Fernando, this guy, Michael Voss, a German guy. He, he did this 6-8 uh, ballad. You know, kind of like uh, Oh Dolly, you know? And uh, I did the first one. I had all these fills where they belong, a lot of energy. And he said, can you do one a little more tame? <laughs> so I did one tame, and I just said, there's just no energy in it, you know? So I, my, my buddy Phil Sassoon, who plays, he played with everybody, bass player, he played on the tame one. And I said, even you sound tame now, because I'm tame. So I said, I said to Mike, I'm going to send him the original one that has the energy. So then I sent it to Phil, the bass player, and he put his bass on it. Big difference, mm-hmm. you know? When the energy isn't coming from the drums, it's, you know. I have a word. Rock and roll is reactionary. And yeah. it's all about, you know, the combination of musicians that are playing off each other. And if you're if the drums don't have the energy, it's not going to, you know, it's sure. going to sound wrong if somebody's bouncing off the walls and somebody's just sitting there keeping time. Yeah. So when it starts, like I was just telling Carmen that I'm going to recut all the guitars for O'Darlin to him so that everything just like grooves hard yeah. and hits hard. Because that's the thing is that the drums set the pace. They set the um, the dynamics. They set the volume. Every time we on the first album we did, sometimes I gave Fernando a drum track to play to. Like, I remember there's one called Little Havana or Big Havana. Yeah. Little Havana was a track that he gave me. And I played to it, and when it was done, I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into something of my own and see what he can do with it. And I went into this really fast shuffle after that. And he put all these accents to, you know, to me that I did and chords came up with Big Havana. Yeah. That's the yeah. beautiful thing, too, is that, you know, I have a drumming background, too. So yeah. when I'm listening to his fills, I'm writing to his fills. So sometimes it's almost like we figured out a way that he could, you know, create this drum part and then the fills could be translated into a guitar riff or a lick or yeah. a bass line. So it's uh, unlike before where people are kind of keeping up with him. He's setting, he's creating this palette of drum yeah. fills and drum parts that are then being translated into full songs. Yeah. So it's it's still songwriting. It's still co-writing. But he's he's starting off with a, an instrument that yeah. you know, a and very then, and then once orthodox we, instrument. You can finish it, and then you know I can say, you know what, we should edit that, or make let's make that six four, you know, and then we'll do some editing and and, and create these really unique, unique music. Like we, did, we just mixed this one called Drum City, which started out with me, and then he put these riffs over it, and when when it's mixed properly, 
you could really hear everything and it sounds awesome. That's a great example because it starts off with all these, uh, it starts off with him playing onto a drum loop drum and he loop. starts playing these drum fills. And I heard in his drum loop, in his drum you fills, I heard a melody. Yeah. And it's all based on his tom toms. You know, literally the tom toms were turned into a melody. It was like boom, boom, down, da doo, ba doo, ba. Yeah. That was kind of my rhythm. And he wrote that. Yeah. Down, 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 you know? It was really cool. It was a lot of fun. It's an interesting way of writing, but yeah. it's, a collabor- it's a collaborating on every single aspect. And we sort of did that with King Cobra. What I told the guys, instead of writing, because everybody, we started it in the middle of the, you know, the, the virus thing. So everybody had their studio. So I said, instead of writing with a click or a drum machine, go back to our old albums. And Paul Shoktina, the singer, had the old album. And I said, pick some of the songs, take my drum part, and write to that. And then when you write the song, then I'll play the drums. Yeah, and then we, they would recut everything to my drums. What was and this some... guy, Philip Basil? What was this guy like? Was he a straight gangster? Who? Philip Basil. Oh yeah, he was a bit. He was, he was, he was connected. And he was like your manager. Yeah, he was our manager. He was connected. He wasn't a murderer or anything. He didn't, he didn't steal from anybody or or rob any trains or do that JFK robbery. But his friends did. <laughs> so, did you have any issues getting money ever? Where he, where he went in and like handled business and said, "I got you guys the money." I mean, his partner Chubby used to go on the road with us. You know, you got to understand that the beginning, with Vanilla Fudge was on the road. It was the beginning of all this stuff, playing arenas and stuff. And you know, guy, he would go up to the promoter and say, "Okay, we want to get paid." Goes, well, I don't have the money. So Chubby had a twenty-two pistol in his sock. And he'd take it out and go, take me to the safe. So we got paid. Great. Yeah. It's great because I believe it. <laughs> I really do. Well, let's put it this way. Did you see the movie Goodfellas? Once or twice. Okay. You know Henry Hill, the guy, the main guy? Yeah, of course. He's to my house and say, come on, I got this stuff that just fell off a truck. <laughs> and he'd open up his, his trunk of his Eldorado and has all kinds of stuff. I, I bought two Revox tape machines. You probably know what that is. Oh, yeah. Back in the, when he was doing the 70s, early 70s. And they were like $700 a piece at the time. I got two of them for 200 bucks. Nice. And that was from Henry Hill? And there and this and that. And then in the movie where the club blew, where they, they had the fire in that bar or whatever, I think that was my manager's bar. Because he had a big club in there. And that, Bulvaria was the Don. We, you know, we had to go to his house. Did you invite us? Asking if you bought those from Henry Hill. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, we were connected. We, they would hang out at my manager's club. Do you still have them? Nice guys. Yeah, sure, sure. When Wonderful. Phil, you should invite him to Christmas. When Phil died, I went to his funeral. Oh. There was a van parked across the street. I was told it was the FBI watching who comes to the funeral. All the heavy hitters came from all wow. the family. You know, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Um, I love that. So my one is crazy gigs. Are there any gigs that stand out through the years where you kind of walked in and you went, oh, God, you know, we got to play here or, or, or funny one-offs? 
like with Rod Stewart, I'm sure he does quite a few run at one offs where you're, you're kind of like, so we're at another mobsters uh, wedding, which was a story for Elton John, actually, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So is there any ones that stand out to each of any of you, each of you guys of fun venues, oddities? I'll go first. Yeah. I played a couple of shows at a swingers club called Plato's repeat in South Florida. Full on, like, full on orgies going on. And uh, it was very eye opening. Let's just say (laughs) we played in a band that played, you know, a lot of originals and a lot of covers. And we used to, there was a trio, great drummer, singer, guitar player. I was playing bass. I remember doing Dancing Queen, Dancing Queen, while a full on foursome was going. And you could just smell it. It was just like, it was. (laughs) yeah yeah that's was, a great uh, gig i love that quite the moment and and the drummer had another gig that he had uh, he got hired to play timbales along with a dj there and some girl came up to him and grabbed his drumstick and let's just say you could keep it i know i know i know but you've got to you come on you're carmine yeah, yeah what do you got carmine like that you never got you never got like a call from somebody and next thing you know you're playing like some mafia party or you're playing like you know yeah i used to play mafia parties when i was in brooklyn that's, you know? that was just life <laughs> i don't know i mean i can't really think of anything like that i mean like i said how do you top that that was i know that was, that's that a was... really good one for real i mean maybe a good fun one was when led zeppelin was getting big uh, they did uh, how many more times and rod I mean, uh, Robert and Jimmy would do the bow thing and the echoes, ah, 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 all that stuff. So John Bonham and John Paul Jones would come off the stage because they would do that for 10 minutes. <laughs> so one night, John Bonham came up to me and said, hey, I got a really fun idea. Why don't you and Tim go up instead of me and John Paul? He said, you know the song. We, yeah, we've been on tour. And when you're on tour with somebody, you end up knowing their set. I said, yeah, we know the song. He said, well, you guys go up. I said, okay. It's when the, the drums going, <laughs> so we went up and we played it just like they would. And Robert's singing, and he looks over and sees me and Tim and goes, What the? <laughs> he goes up to Pagey, he elbows him, and tells Pagey, Look at us. So Pagey looks at us and goes, Okay. <laughs> All right. And we just ended the song. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Okay, that means everybody needs to find that bootleg. That's incredible. Oh, yeah, that would be really good. We got a mission, Fernando. We got a mission. Yeah, no, that's going to happen. You got to give me the exact. Did you journal? Did you like. In those days, we never took pictures, never journaled. We just. There would have been. These days, there would have been 20 people with an iPhone. Now it would have been like, uh, you know, know, on Facebook. Try 200, 2,000. I on Facebook, you know. Yeah. I asked. It was funny. I did one of these and I asked them all, did they stick the lighters in the air? And the guy looked at me, he goes, when was the last time you went to a show? I'm like, yeah, I don't really go to shows. And they're like, they don't do lighters in the air anymore, man. They do the cell phones. They do the cell phones. And they have the silly app that you, it looks like a lighter and you can do that too. Did you see that movie? Um, it's on, on Netflix now. It's a the Queen movie. The show must go on. Have you seen that? I, I did not. I did not. You should see that because the real shot going up of, of like a stadium with everybody with their cell phones. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Huh. 
But it happens, and it's, it always gives me chills when I look back and you see all the lights. And the lighters were great because, uh, especially like with Rod, they did a lot of a lot of lighting. We did six nights at the Forum, twenty thousand people a night. Every night the lighters were going. You know, yeah, amazing stuff. What of your albums do you listen to regularly, if any of them? I don't listen to a lot of. If I do, it's all you know. I listen to. Serious radio, I listen to Soul Town a lot. Sometimes I listen to classic, uh, the classic rock one, but I don't really listen to album albums, you know, because, uh, I got an LP, a, a, a new t- turntable. It's, it runs with a strap. These new turntables run with a, a freaking strap. It keeps coming off. Oh. You know, and we tried to get it fixed. I was going to order other ones. They all have the strap. Yeah. So I listen basically to to radio. That's how I always like to listen to music, except in the old days when we were smoking a lot of pot and, you know, had these giant speakers you sit in the middle of them. You know, that was a long time ago. Yeah, but I think you were asking which of your albums do you listen My to? My album? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I listen to whatever I'm working on. Yeah. That's right. You know, I'm working I'm on interested if somebody because they don't usually it's always like I never watch my own work I never listen to my own work I'm so sick of my vis I'm so sick of that well when when some of his friends say hey man we go to this fill on this recording of you know yeah, you yeah, yeah. yeah. meanwhile I mean, like that when we were doing our first album you listen to it so much and when it comes out you listen to it a while and then you forget about it because yeah, you've you heard thing most of the albums I think yeah He's got so many different eras of 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 his career totally. that first of all he's part of the soundtrack of all our lives. I mean, you know, you don't even have to be a rock fan to know like all this soundtrack. stuff. It is part of the soundtrack. I, I just got to start doing some um, like rock history talks in clubs. Yeah, that's a good. No, because when you I'm think about it, comment at these diaries soundtracks. It is because when you think about it, like he's it. played on hits in every decade, and he's played on huge albums pretty much in every decade. And even if you're not a rock fan, you know his stuff has been used in movies. Just being you know, that's a one TikTok. Of the, one of the better shows I did see the Turtles, Flo and Eddie, and they did that. They they did a history lesson of 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 them as a band going together, and they they played by era and explained to it going down to. When the '80s came and they started writing soundtrack for films and what they played on and stuff, uh, the Care Bears and the stuff like yeah. that, it was super fun. And not to mention all the work that they did as backup vocalists, singing with T Rex and Zappa. They and... went through everything for little bits. This was a festival gig, believe it or not, opening for Poison. But um, <laughs> odd, Funny. yeah, isn't that weird lineup? So, uh... <laughs> ah, the Turtles. <laughs> Oh, oh, poison. Oh, poison. <laughs> what did he say? He said poison opened up for King Cobra. His old oh, no way. Really? Yeah. Amazing. They're yeah, they're good guys. But, but the point I was trying to make is that, like, you know, he, he's played on a bunch of soundtrack stuff, and it's like you don't even have to be a rock fan to know, you know, anybody who saw freaking uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or, or, or you know, any time that they've used camping of Sexy Hot Legs, yeah. you know, uh, all the stuff that he's played on, yeah. you know. And uh, it's interesting to see all the different places that he pops up. And, you know, I personally, you know, I've always been a huge fan of The Fudge and, and of Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck and, you know, Beck Burger Peace and all that stuff. But the album that re, re-energized my interest in him, he played on an Eric Carmen record oh, that, that is 
tonight I'm yours, <laughs> which is, uh, or tonight you're mine. It's yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's an amazing I record. And I remember hearing that, that record and going, oh my God, thing? he played on pretty much the whole yeah, thing. And I'm like, I need, I need to work with that guy. That's it. I this is incredible. But again, it's interesting because you don't think of Eric Carmen as this hard-hitting rock guy. Even Rod Stewart, you think of him as a rock guy. Eric Carmen, you think about him as a balladeer. Oh, exactly, but on the on you know on that record, he's got him doing his thing. And you know what? After I did that record, I went to Japan with my own tour right after Rod, and Eric was with me. I had Rick Derringer, me, Tom Peterson, and Eric Carmen. Wow. And Dwayne Hitchings, and we played a little bit of everybody's hits. And we played the Budokai. Wow. And we sold out the Budokai. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, super neat. Fernando, you didn't answer my question. Which one? Which one? Being famous. Oh, well, first of all, I'm working on being more famous. famous. I'm working on being more famous, but you know, for now, the thing about it is me is I work a lot as a session musician. So unless you look at credits, eh. but the Echo in the Canyon thing was definitely the closest thing. And the coolest thing was people that I haven't talked to in decades, all of a sudden saying, Hey, I saw you in that Laurel Canyon movie. Blah 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 blah. Like, good job, man. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, that's 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 the type of stuff that I'm talking about. That's what I saw, man. You have to you have to kind of like prove to yourself, especially. You know what's funny? It's like I went to high school in the '90s when all of a sudden there was a school that didn't have. I know, sorry, that didn't have. You know what's funny? Rock musicians used to be the coolest people on earth. Yeah. In my high school, we were like they used to call us the 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 um the potheads or the or yeah. the 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 metalheads or whatever we weren't the cool kids it was the rappers it was the like yeah, yeah, sports people yeah. it was like the dancers it was the Michael Jackson people and you know we weren't cool anymore yeah. so I got picked on a lot for being you know a headbanger that was the word hey he's a headbanger but you know now it's like oh it's to have those kids from high school going Hey man, I saw you on stage and with uh, with Fiona Apple in this movie, and I can't believe it, man! You did it, you made it, man! I'm like, well, not really. I didn't make it, but I I definitely am very proud of that moment. You know, cool. Well, you know, the way we got together is interesting. Yeah, we should. We, should we have a we have a mutual friend in. Uh, well, actually, this goes back to high school. So, uh, Tom Dowd, um, the uh, legendary producer, I'm really good friends with his daughter Dana. And uh, one day I posted on Facebook saying, does anybody, can anybody put me in touch with Carmine Apiece? Next thing you know, I get a call from her and she says, I gave Carmine your number. You're going to get a phone call. This is going to happen. And all of a sudden he calls me. He had checked out my stuff. And it was, uh, it, it, was a mutual, it was a situation where like, you know, Tom was such a huge force in, in the yeah. story of and Carmine. I worked with Tom since 1967 with Vanilla Fudge. He was an Atlantic producer. We were always talking to him, seeing him. And uh, I just got in the studio together. This is the yeah. this is the studio yeah. here. Oh, right. This is the studio here. It's awesome. Uh, those around. are old bass drums and everything. So yeah. I had just gotten that together, and uh, I really didn't know how to run it yet. So when I when she told me that, I said, "Oh, this could be interesting." I could do a session with this guy and learn how to run my studio. It was the perfect timing right. because he was building the studio and, and there's the, the Apice Perdomo project, which ended up becoming Energy Overload, was kind of like one of the guinea pigs of the studio. Yeah. And now it's like clockwork. Talk, clockwork. Yeah. I mean, we, everything is set up. Everything sounds and great. And the way it started, I had written some songs on my iPad that I wrote. And 
I figured, well, let me see what this guy can do with these. I'll send it to him. So I sent it to him and then he sent it back to me. I said, wow, this is pretty cool. And I put drums to it. And when I put the drums to it, I sent it back to him. And then I, I don't know if you recut some of the stuff. Yeah. You know, tightened everything. And up. I said, okay, let me do another one. So we sent another one. We did, did, and he said, well, let me send you one of mine. That, and that was the uh, Little Havana, yeah. Big Havana. So I sent it back. That's cool. To him yep. with other things. So this is how it all happened. You know? It's an amazing process. And now it's like, now we've already worked on over 30 songs together. And it's really That's awesome. Huge. We've known each other for, for a couple of years. So yeah. That's awesome. here's the so, Carmen, question is, uh, so when you were a kid, was like Thanksgiving hard at your house? Would your mom like yell at you because you and your brother were just hitting shit the whole time? Well, my brother didn't stop playing until I left. Oh, no way. They yeah. took turns. Well, he's 11 years younger than me. Yeah, that's yeah. big. Um, what inspired him, well, what inspired me was I, my cousin Joey was a drummer. Okay. You know? And on my father's side of the family, I was number two. Then it's my cousin Frankie, my cousin Tommy, my cousin Anthony, uh, Vinny. They're all together, there's like six, seven drummers on my father's side of Santa, including my son, can play, but he don't want to play. He's a medical guy. So, you know, I was inspired by my cousin Joey. And for me, Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich were it. You know, it yeah, wasn't like, wow. I mean, yeah, there's, it was Teen Beat, Let There Be Drums, and Teen Beat, and Cozy Call. Uh, Topsy Part Two, but Gene Krupa, you know, in the movie Gene Krupa story came out, I was like, forget it, you know, and uh, he was showy, and that's where I got the showy I got vibes from, and you know, and then like uh, I went out and did Vanilla Fudge, and, I, and you know, Vinny used to watch me on Ed Sullivan, on Merv Griffin's show, and Ray Anthony's show, and all these shows with Vanilla Fudge, and I left the drum set home, so he started playing, and one time I went home, when I used to go home. I had a red Pantera. I would pull up in my in front of my parents' house on at the hydrant, you know, fire hydrant. Pull up in front of it with my red Pantera. I get out. I'm fully dressed for stage. You know? <laughs> I walk into the house and all the kids would go, "Oh, Carmine's here!" And they all come down to my mother's house. You know, it was like a big deal, man. You know, so my brother Vinny was like the cool brother of the rock star. You know, sure. So practice and uh, and then he would. You know, like one time I went home like that and, and he dragged me into, he was about nine years old. And he dragged me into the room with the drums and he started playing. Boom, boom, bah, chicken, chicken, chicken. I said, wow. I said to my mother, how did you learn this? He goes, he's in there all the time driving me crazy like you did. <laughs> and on our album with me and my brother's album, it's called uh, Brothers and Drums. I, I, I met I tell the whole story of all this. I wrote the lyrics. And uh, it's in there, that, that lyric about my mother. So she said, what should we do? I said, we should send them to my teacher. You know? Okay, so he started going to my teacher every week. By the time he was 12, 13, he was really good. I remember he was like 12, 13 years old. And me and him are sitting around in the house learning some of the fills that Billy Cobham was doing. You know? And he was 13 years old or 12 years old. Cool. And Took it from there. Uh, I didn't really help him make it. He kind of did it on his own because he uh, he got tuned into the record plant. And oh, Jimmy sure. was a good friend of his. Who Jimmy, was? Going to Jimmy Ivey. Oh. Yeah, Jimmy, the big, you know, record mongrel now. You mm -hmm. know, he's huge. 
He's a billionaire now. Yeah. You know, he used to call up and go, uh, Vinny would pull up to his house and go, hey, Jimmy, you ready? And his brother would go, Jimmy, Vinny's here. <laughs> totally New York, you know. And they drive into New York to the record plant where Jimmy was the second engineer. And uh, they they had a band. It was a funk band upstairs. One time Jimmy come up and said, look, we're doing a session down there. We need some hand clapping. Goes down to do the session, hand clapping for John Lennon. Whatever gets you to it tonight. Wow. Right? And that started him, you know, meeting famous people. John used to hang out with him. Matter of fact, his band played the very last show that John ever did in his life. Wow. Rick Derringer used to hang out there. And that's how he got in with Rick Derringer and went out with Rick Derringer when he was 16 years old. Quit school. When he, when he was still in school, he'd be tapping on the on the desk and the teacher would go, Vinny, will you stop, Vincent, will you stop tacking, uh, pack, uh, tapping on the desk? And Vinny would stand up and go, excuse me, did anyone else play with John Lennon last night? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So then he got, he just quit school and went on the road with Rick. And he made up for it. He got a, his high school diploma and then went to school, became a computer tech. Wow. So oh, really? Business for two years. You call Verizon, you get Vinny on the phone for support. And then it came back and joined Black Sabbath and the rest is history. Right. So, yeah, but that's how it happened. But I didn't really do anything. You know? That's such neat stuff. I love it. Well, I appreciate your guys' time. If you have any other stories, you're definitely welcome to share them. I look forward to this album you're working on. Oh, man, we, we, are, we are jazzed on it big time. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's everything that the first record was taken up to another 35, 40%. It's so great. Grammy, 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 man. How cool. That would be awesome. But listen to this. Uh, but this one is going to go more. Number one, we got better mixes going. And we have a plan already for how they're going to market it. Mm-hmm. Which is they didn't really have any plan because they didn't know what the hell it was, you know. I think more and more you have to do stuff yourself now. You have to come up with your own ideas because these big labels and stuff are struggling and they don't care about any of us. <laughs> I don't. I really don't think so. Well, luckily, it's not a big label. It's a, a big indie, but the owner is a friend of mine. Good. And he first album is a favor, and you know, but we did get amazing reviews for it. You know. It was so great. Named album for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited. Should be. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. And I'll talk to you both real soon. Great interview. Thanks, Joel. And thanks for everything. And again, thanks, congrats on, on your book. And uh, yeah, good luck. Yeah, man. This is great. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick. <laughs>